0: This episode is brought to you by Bias Agency Australia.
1: this You can go either way. We get given critical moments at different points in our life, where the decision you make in that moment can alter your path dramatically, or we'll keep it the same.
0: This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Taran Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Managing Director of Velocity Property Group, Brendan Ansell. He will share his globetrotting story from his childhood in South Africa to playing cricket for the UK. He reveals why he moved to Australia and details how he used his background in finance to build a large property development company. In his professional life, Ensel spends his time focusing on the Velocity Property Group which is a company that prides itself on creating luxurious spaces.
1: We don't do um, investment. Type properties, and we don't do uh, lower price point uh, properties. Most of our stuff's a million dollars and up. So, yeah, I've always loved aesthetically pleasing properties and luxurious properties, and 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 now we create them.
0: As well as working hard towards his business goals, Ansel is also kept busy by building a charity.
1: I tend to invest my own personal money in social style ventures and businesses. So. We own half of a, a natural earth building company in Nepal where a gentleman who's an architect and a builder has a uh, pay-forward philosophy, which was he, after the earthquakes, a you know, large portion of the country is damaged. So uh, the business model is he goes into villages, uses the villages and their labor to, to help him build the first house and then leaves them the blueprint on how to do it themselves using natural earth materials, no construction, no concrete, no steel. You yeah, know, well, he's teaching us how to do that. So I don't know yet how we integrate that into the business. Obviously, Australia has a fascination, And obviously, its structural stability is concrete and steel. But the, uh, the irony of it in Nepal is that natural earth... houses uh, built out of natural earth materials can withstand earthquakes, whereas concrete and steel can't.
0: Ansel is leading a very busy life, and for him, every day is different.
1: No day is even remotely... The same as uh, the next. It's um, um. I I tend to be quite fluid now. Obviously, we have staff who are very specifically skilled in all their best their distinct roles. So, I no longer have to be the the everything to everybody. Um. So now, yeah, it's um. I'm trying to consciously create my day in a in a specific order, and and we we I divide my activities into three three main um, lines of work. One is um, activities that create future opportunities and income. Uh, the second is activities that create income today or don't lose money today. So obviously problem solving. problem solving, And then the third is anything admin related or getting back to uh, people. So I prioritize my day in that order.
0: Ansel does not have set working hours but it does not mean he doesn't work hard. For him, the average 8-hour workday is considered to be short.
1: Oh, if you want to be successful, that's what you got to do and when everyone else is sleeping or hungover. It's what you do when everyone else is, is not at work and what you do in your spare time that makes you successful.
0: Originally from South Africa, Ansel experienced a different childhood than expected.
1: Uh, I grew up in Durban in South Africa. so um. Um, obviously during a fairly volatile period. I was at school during the change over to democracy, which was uh, an exciting time and a and, you know a great time for, for the country, but also very volatile, uh, lots of violence, lots of uh, sudden changes. So we went from a very strict militaristic style society to a completely open and free overnight. So uh, as a 16, 17-year-old, you can imagine the type of trouble you'd get up to once you suddenly got free rein in life so um, so yeah, I had some some challenging few years with pretty much uh, very little structure you could say.
0: At the age of 18 Ansel and his family wanted to move to Canada, however that did not work out so they made the big move to the land down under.
1: Australia. Is a very very similar culture to South Africa in a lot of respects. You know, very similar weather, um, very similar sporting type culture. So I'm I'm thankful we got to come here because you know it's far easier to assimilate um, quicker and um, and build contacts and friends and stuff like that. So you know you don't have different language barriers and other other challenges. So uh, specifically, what triggered us to come? um, Yeah dire financial circumstances and some very close calls from a, a violence point of view.
0: Once he arrived in Australia, Ansel did not stay for long.
1: I played representative cricket in South Africa. Um, so I had to make a choice whether to stay and have a go for the professional professional teams. Um, but obviously the risk was, was high if you didn't make it. So I came to Australia specifically to make sure I could get the passport and visa stamp first before making any decisions. And then I actually ended up only staying for about 80 months, two years, and I took off to uh, the UK to, to, uh, uh, on a cricketing contract over there. And then, and then for the next five years, just pretty much split my time between the UK and New Zealand.
0: Throughout his time playing cricket, and so did not need a typical nine-to-five job.
1: I didn't have to work too much. I got, I got paid to play, but um, accounting can't, can't be a good thing, you know. I, I had a great time from pretty much 19 years old to 25. I pretty much got paid to travel the world. Didn't get a lot of money, that it. it wasn't as professional back then in the late 90s as, as it, it is now. So um, yeah, we, uh, we had a lot of parties and uh, enjoyed ourselves as well.
0: After his cricket career was coming to an end, Ensel spent two years living and working in London.
1: Obviously coming from a sporting background, they can open up different doors so a very senior uh, manager high up in HSBC and in investment banking gave me a job in London for, for two years after I finished cricket so that was a great uh, segue into out of cricket into um, a more professional environment. So. I found in in that time in, in London, people didn't work very hard, um, so it was a great opportunity for me to to learn, you know, the game of investment banking as, as quickly as I could. And so I, I immersed myself in it and got my knowledge and skill set up in um, in you know banking and and uh, investment models and. Um, and I, I seemed to hit a wave then too in my mid-20s mid where I immersed myself in personal development as well. So I pretty much spent every waking moment learning everything I could from personal development to investing to property and quickly found that property was sort of my um, yeah, my original passion and, and what I came back to uh, having worked in investment banking, the stock market, made no sense to me and and seemed to lack... Like, um, Yeah, any form of real intrinsic value. So, I, I, and obviously seeing people and clients lose their, the shirt off their back pretty quickly was, was interesting to see. So, um, yeah, property was, was always my passion. So I I reverted back to that and I started buying property in Brisbane in, um, while I was working in London. uh, I used that income to buy property back here and thankfully that was, you know, around about 2000, 2001 and 2002 so I bought properties generally in that Logan area quite cheaply and then the market went absolutely berserk in 03, 04. and I thought I was a property genius. Meanwhile, all I did was buy you know, some cheap properties and they went up in value. There was no skill set in it.
0: At this point in time, Ensel was settled into his life in London. However, a historic event urged him to move back to Australia.
1: I came back in 2002, shortly after September 11th. I was on the trading floor in in London when the we actually um, saw on TV the, the planes going into the buildings and half the stockbrokers on our floor, their phones cut out. They were actually on the phone to some of the trading floors in the, in the, in the tower, so that was a, a bit of a shock. And the... Um, the U.S. Embassy was next door to us, so I didn't really want to hang around too <laughs> too, too long. So I think I quit the next month and uh, spent three or four months travelling around Europe before coming back in uh, 2002.
0: Once back in Australia, Ansel realised he would no longer be able to work in banking.
1: I tried to get back into banking here. I was a bit surprised that um, um, my experience in London didn't, didn't seem to count for me but obviously I wanted to come back to Brisbane as opposed to Sydney. Um, Brisbane's a very similar uh, climate and lifestyle to Durban where I'm from, so I've always preferred Brisbane over Sydney. Um, so, yeah, and coming back to Brisbane, there was essentially no banking here at that time, and obviously um, the early 2000s was a, was a challenging time as well. Um, there's very little work available or on the go. And then coming into two thousand three, four, the um the property market came off as well. So it was a challenging time to be in be in Brisbane and get ahead. So I decided to um branch out and get into finance. Um, as in, you know, mortgage broking and, and financing for for other developers. So I literally spent the next probably until two thousand and what did I say, seven, eight, yeah, probably till about, well, I, I still have a share in, in the original finance business, which has been managed by someone else now. But up until about five years ago, I pretty much spent eight, nine years um, immersing myself in that and running my own business. And <clears throat> that was excellent because I, it was a great way to earn cash flow plus do your own small projects on the side. And, and also learn lessons from our clients, you know. Um, so I didn't have to go through those hard times myself. From
0: here, Ansel decided to launch his property business, and we'll explore why he chose property over other investments.
1: I've always loved property. We um we did struggle financially in South Africa. We weren't, uh, you could say we were, we were lower lower middle class. So um, life was generally financially very much a struggle for us. But my my mother wasn't in a part-time interior decorator and so i used to go with her to appointments and i used to see how the other side lived in you know very wealthy mansion um, mansions so um i've always been fascinated by property and and aesthetically beautiful property
0: Enzo's parents never directly influenced him to go into property
1: they still they're in their 70s now and they still work uh quite hard in their uh in that sort of auto electrical Part businesses, so and no, they've never, have never been invested. I don't, I don't. None of my family is from that, and that's So no, I'm completely, completely 100% self-made. Uh, your mindset and your personal development dictates where you are in life. There's I, I personally don't believe uh, it's it's that random. I believe there are some random aspects to life, and, but we have a great element of control over it. And you're exactly where you are. Based on your personal development and and your internal belief system, so i I didn't want that life I wanted a better life, so I learned what needed to be learned to be- you have to become the person first. you know history will show that people that suddenly win money like a mulatto or something, generally in most cases lose it and end up in a worse position than before because their skill set and their mindset haven't kept pace uh, with their wealth. So, you know, if somebody wants to get out of that position, and obviously I'll, I've always been a forward-thinking and forward-moving person. I I can't stand sitting still. I can't stand just going to the same mundane nine-to-five job every day and say this is my lot in life. I wasn't built that way. So, I wasn't going to accept that. I was going to do whatever it took to to get out of those situations
0: so was determined to establish a career in property development. He explains how he made this a reality.
1: I was always, even when I was um, doing the finance, I was still doing quality uh, projects. I, I just never had that ability to try and, you know, purchase a block of land and build the cheap house. I always wanted to try and spec it up or, or go for a higher price point. So, you know, even in yeah you know, even going back to you know, two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten, I was doing splitters in Hawthorne Belmba, those sorts of areas. at a million plus then. So it wasn't um, so we started that fairly early. But also my research told me that you know suburbs in, in Brisbane, like Bomba, Orkinflower, the you know, the inner city boutique, low density suburbs maintain their values exceptionally well. They desirable lifestyle areas. So, you know, I didn't see it as great risk to go into that price point. I, I saw it as less risky than the, some of the cheaper suburbs that were more susceptible to interest rate rises and, and other factors and supply. You know, he's constrained land supply in the in the cities of, of, of Australia. So,
0: once he bought a few properties, he did not hold on to them.
1: I just kept trading up. Um, and interesting, I've had a a very similar discussion this week with another chap I'm mentoring at the moment who is probably, you could almost identically put him in my spot back then in around 2002, 2003. And I've had this discussion this week already with someone else where uh, he's actively trying to become full-time in property but also hold on to properties along the way and you know, unless you have a consistent cash flow. It's very, very difficult to do that and and you hit the wall where you can just, no, no banks will lend you any money. So, no, I, I sold and, and kept trading up.
0: Across his property development career, Ansel has faced challenges. However, he believes in not looking backwards and that challenges will continue to show.
1: I would call myself a very strong, resilient person. Uh, I tend not to be down too long or don't allow myself to stay in that frame of mind for too long so yeah people uh, I have challenges every day I have them now your your challenges never go away they just change so you know if anyone's expecting that they'll become successful and life will be suddenly easy and you have no issues and life will I'm sorry that's not realistic Um, some of my biggest challenges are now not necessarily back in the past you know because we have a far greater responsibility now Um, I do it for the love of the game not not for so love game first and personal wealth second. So when we, I was just on my own as a developer running my own company and making money or losing money, um, that was fine because it was always the next deals we're going to. It's a sort of creative process that gave me my, my energy. Now I've got a far greater responsibility of looking after thousands of shareholders, hard-earned capital. So it's, it's a different type of challenge. But if I go back to deals... Thankfully, I've only ever lost on one deal, and that was about eight thousand dollars. So, so my, my grounding in finance gave me the knowledge first before I went full time into property. So, I was I increased my knowledge base first before um, committing too heavily.
0: Despite Ansel not losing many deals. When he does, he always learns a valuable lesson.
1: I personally believe the ones you let go are more important than, than your wins. So even even stock market traders will tell you that. You minimize your losses and you ride your wins. So when you have a property or a site and you, know, you can see that the market's coming off rather than put your head in the sand and go, well, I'm just going to go and build this anyway and hope I can sell it at the end. You know, I bought this side, I got a DA for seven apartments, I was sitting there looking and going, well, I can't build it, I can't build it, I'm not going to be able to sell these, the market's coming off, I've got my timing all wrong here. So, yeah, you got two choices, you push ahead and hope that it comes out all right. right. Well, I went, oh, there's an offer on the table, it's a small loss, and $8,000 is a small loss in the project if you're going to take a loss. Um I'll, I'll take the sale and move on. But the key there for me was, I, went, I kind of went outside of my usual formula. Instead of sticking to premium high-end areas, you know, high-end property owner occupiers, I went out to the outer suburbs and tried to expand the number of properties I was doing, You know, going from two or three at a time to six and seven, because I wanted to get to that next stage. I wanted to increase the size of my project. But went out to an outlying area where you know um, the market's more volatile. I could have lost, I could have lost a million dollars and you know gone bankrupt or gone backwards and eroded years of hard work. But it's very, very difficult for people to admit they made a mistake. It's very, it's very hard um, to to actually put your hand up and go, I made a mess of this. I made a bad choice here. I've just got to suck up the loss and move on and it doesn't matter it's $8, or if that's $8,000 or $100,000. If you can suppress your ego long enough to make calm rational decisions for the long-term, medium and long-term thinking is exceptionally important in property because if you're constantly focusing on the medium and long-term what you're trying to build, you don't mind taking that $8,000 loss.
0: As well as learning from his losses, Ansel also learns from his successes.
1: I've always really understood momentum. Momentum is, and that probably comes from a sporting background, playing cricket and going through long periods of time. You really get, and go and sit and watch a test match, and you'll see momentum change. And if you're watching a test match and a mo- momentum is, let's say, all the thing that at one point, and then Australia gets a wicket, it's a shift in momentum. and You can see the energy pickup of the the bowlers and the players. Because they've noticed that, they understand they've broken a pattern, so they've got momentum back on their side. So they go harder. The bowler doesn't relax and go, "I got a wicket. I look good on the scoreboard. I'm just going to chill out for the next few overs and bowl medium pace." They go harder. So they understand momentum. So when you get an opportunity or you meet a person or something that's really good belly for you, don't go on holiday for a week. You know, go harder. You can go holiday later.
0: sel has had numerous success stories. Though in the short time we had together he could share his top three.
1: Uh, during the GFC, you know, everybody had severe problems. I had a lot of property interest rates went through the roof. I was really getting squeezed, cash flow was dropping, expenses were going through the roof. And I had a situation where I had a small project in Blimber. Um, and I got right to the stage of starting to about to start construction. And I just went, I can't do it. Everything's going bad in business and property. I can't build these. I've got to pull back. So obviously going to that builder, who's very, very disappointed, um, I asked them, I think I had about $15,000 in cash left. I asked them what expenses that, that they had incurred to date. So I had a choice then. I could just walk away, save my fifteen grand, look after myself, and I thought there's something in this. There's a pivotal moment here that is something relevant to me. And if I do this, I'm going to be confident I'm going to be rewarded for this. I paid him twelve and a half thousand to make sure that they incurred no loss. And I went right down to my last two and a half thousand dollars, which is a tough thing to do. I just had a, I just had a strong intuitive feeling that I needed to do that, that that action took me to another level that I was. I could, you could shift your thinking from self-preservation to a more abundant, big-picture thinking. So it was a pivotal moment. That builder has completely missed the lesson completely and just took the money and ran. That's all right. <laughs> so it's not my job to... you know, they, didn't, they didn't understand how unique that choice was and how big it was because people would have been stiffing them left, right and centre. So that's right, that was for me. Second is meeting, uh, one of my current mentors who's, you know, close to being a billionaire at the moment, who is also a migrant, uh, a very relevant, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to choose mentors that were relevant to my situation and migrants are very, very successful in Australia for for obvious reasons. Um, so he's a migrant and he was essentially broke at late 40s, 50. Years old and started again from scratch and has built pretty much built a you know a billion dollar empire. So, in inside twenty years. So, um I listened to him talk at an event, and I knew there were probably a thousand people there. And I thought, oh, I think everyone's going to pepper him after this. I'd just be yet another number of people ringing him asking him if they can catch up. So I think, I need to think differently. I so, said actually rang his office and I said to his secretary I'm making a $1,000 donation to his charity now I would like to meet him for an hour but there is no obligation I'll make the donation anyway and that, that singular event made me stand out above all the people ringing him just asking him for something and he actually called me in for a for a meeting and then, then it's proceeded to keep in touch and I've spent a bit of time with him, I've played golf with him and The time I've spent with him has completely raised my ceiling on what's possible. When I first met him, I was doing little six packs, seven packs of units. And then through a little bit of interaction, I've gone, he has created a billion dollar empire in 20 years. There's no skill set difference between him and I. There's only a mindset difference. So what I took from that is it raised my ceiling massively, and I'm I'm not going to put a ceiling on. I want to see how far we can go with this can we become the biggest uh, property company in Australia you know we, we decide so that was the second one you know, second most pivotal pivotal moment uh, the third was just a chance meeting which was shortly after that period as well so that was um, 2013 so it was only four years ago that I, I met uh, my mentor. and then the third event was I wanted to think how I could expand much bigger and faster. And the only way is uh, access to larger amounts of capital and bringing on powerful joint venture partners. So I very fortunately happened to meet a gentleman from Singapore who was out on holiday. He got introduced by a mutual friend and just happened to be that pivotal moment in time where um, – and actually I had a choice because I was in walking down Oxford Street with my son like going for a beer, and she rang me and said, this gentleman's out from Singapore. We're actually down the street in Bulimba. Do you want to meet up? So you got a choice. You can go, no, no, I'm going to go um, have a beer with my mates or I can go meet a business contact. So I asked somebody to look after my son, and uh, I went and met him. So if I didn't go to that meeting, you know, it would have been a radically different outcome. So I met him, and the, their group from Singapore came out to view a project with us. And about two months later, they had committed to a 20 million dollar project, which up until that point, my largest project was probably seven or eight million. so I went to another level straight away, and that has triggered a series of events of access to large amounts of capital through Singapore and then to become a listed company. So there's three very key pivotal moments there, but intuitively i could I could recognize them the importance of them at the time. And didn't, you know, committed to doing it. I didn't go and and play golf or or do something else and get to that later. I, I placed them as high priority.
0: Coming up after the break, we'll explore the strategy that Enzo used to achieve success.
1: Before you even get to that, it helps you get to your journey faster by having as much clarity as you can on what you're trying to do.
0: We'll learn about the effects of having mentors. You
1: can have mentors of different kinds all the time. You know, your your parents can be a mentor.
0: We'll hear about the personal habits that contribute to his success.
1: And obviously read a lot, read a lot of books.
0: And that's next. I'm Taren Sharma, and you're listening to Property Investory. find yourself stressed out not knowing how or where to find the best property deals or what the best strategy is to build a wealth generating portfolio, well, Dragon Dominski can help you while you save time and money. With about two decades of experience as an investor and expert buyer's agent, he finds positively geared properties with development potentials and secures and negotiates off-market deals for his clients. Now he's offering you a no obligation 45-minute strategy call to get you started. Just simply text the code BAA with your name and email address to 0405105074 to get your no obligation free 45-minute strategy call. We've heard about Ansel's property investing journey. Now, let's explore how he executed it.
1: It helps you get to your journey faster by having as much clarity as you can on what you're trying to do. So before we even get to build anything or select the site, we've applied um, very much a, an economic thought process to our company. So what I mean by that is We've studied, we're studying economic trends and demographic trends consistently on a daily basis and then formulate our, our strategy after that. Thankfully, that's then coincided with a you know, more market style of project. So we're, we're an aging population. Um, we have a very wealthy set of population in empty nesters and baby boomers. Who have been fortunate that, through the majority of their working life, they've not hit a recession. So the stats show that nine, the baby boomers, baby boomers account for about nine or ten percent of the population, yet they hold sixty percent of the wealth in Australia. That's massively just distorted statistic. So we take that statistical analysis and we go, where's Australia going in the future? I have certain thought patterns based on my, you know. And we have one of my other mentors and, and consultants is actually a, a, bit, a bit of a, a futurist and um, trend uh, analysis style person. that come from a, a a managed fund background, so you know we're we're doing a little bit of future prediction here. So we've modelled all our entire business around that set of demographics. And thought patterns and also what's happening in the future. So we are, we are experiencing a massive shift. Um, we will experience a massive shift in the next 20 years of baby boomers moving out of large homes into apartments and townhomes. Um, we're a little bit ahead of the curve. We, we're a little bit frustrated. We're not selling as fast and, and maybe my expectations are too high because we do sell out a lot of products prior to completion. Uh, we have one on the Gold Coast we've sold out at the start of construction, which is very, very rare. Um, very unique, very high-end uh, project in Burley Heads. Um, so we're a bit early in the cycle. We're only three to four years into a 15 to 20-year cycle. So the numbers are not there for us, for our product, but we're holding firm on that line, trusting that they'll come. And, and you know, bear in mind, too, it's, it takes a lot of courage to – build a $2 million property um, because there's no other options for it. You can't keep it and rent it out. You can't sell it through an investment channel. You have one you have one exit strategy which is to sell it to an occupant.
0: You may think that only having one exit strategy is a risk and might cause failure. But this is where Ansel's strategy kicks in.
1: Yeah, so our strategy is instead of doing... Excessively large projects of 100 to 200 units. Um, we're doing lots of smaller boutique projects, projects between sort of 15 and 50 million in gross value, and numbers between sort of 15 and, and 40 apartments. So we're, mini- we're using a risk minimization strategy of diversification, spreading across lots of projects, not one massive big. You know, all-out projects, which is the complete opposite of my mentor. To be honest, but he has a higher risk profile than I do. It's he's all or nothing, so I'm not prepared to take that risk or, or from our shareholders. So that's no, not a negative question. It's something we need to ask ourselves. You know, what happens if one project goes pear shaped? Well, we have plenty of others, and they spread, and they spread around the state. So, and then we we can make the decision when we start construction as well. Now the other thing I try to try and do is have cheap land prices, expensive builds. You push your risk to the back end of a project. You know, a four million dollar purchase on land, twenty million dollar build, not a fifteen million dollar purchase on land, fifteen million dollar build, because your risk is is brought forward. So if we purchase a site for say three four million dollars, and we borrow you know fifty percent from a bank we can let it sit there for five years. It's not going to stress us. So we can pick and choose when we go. So we'll start selling, and if we just don't sell anything, we won't start construction. So, yeah, I mean, there's lots of little things you can learn and, and do to minimize that, but being aware of risk and, and asking these questions is, is intelligent. You know, the, the build-it-and-hope-they-come mentality is is, uh, is very risky. Yeah, and different areas go off at different times. So we're hard out construction on the Gold Coast at the moment, which is fantastic. Uh, Brisbane's tougher. So we're, we're a little bit more cautious on, on Brisbane. But even then, when we buy a site, we try and diversify the product on there as well. So we've got a site in Turinga in Brisbane, uh, which is a you know, real upmarket inner city suburb in the western suburbs near the universities, near all the private schools. And then we've got a four and a half thousand square meter site on a hilltop in one of the best streets in that suburb. So instead of doing 50 apartments, we're, we're mixing up the product, houses, townhouses and uh, apartments so, and having differing price points. So as a buyer inquiry comes in, you can move them between the different products or, or give them options.
0: From many perspectives of property development, Ansel is very involved. This includes the design.
1: If I get heavily involved in the architectural side. It, that's very much a passion of mine. Designing someone's home and why they want to live there. Um, so the product mix is, is a number of different factors, the topography of the land what's surrounding the site and the reality of the site was that it's on a hilltop but slopes down a little bit and at the top of the hill we've got three $4 million houses on the ridge at the bottom of the hill we've got $700,000 apartments so we've followed the topography of the land and the style of the suburb to make sense hoping that Brisbane City Council would support us and see the rationale but Unfortunately, we don't get we don't get any support from from our local councils. They missed the point completely. So it took us it took us fourteen months to get that approval, and, and and in court. But so I had the option there of just scrapping it and starting again. But we held sway. I said, No, no, this is the right strategy, and we, we went to court and we won. Well, the irony is we we paid five point seven for the site and had an offer of eight. Do you know how hard it is to say no to that offer? When everybody is telling you to bail, But we, but we sat there and went no, this, this, this project. once I get it through has a strong profit margin and it's great for our branding and the suburb needs it. So sometimes there's a fine line between being pig-headed and stubborn.
0: On his path to success? Enzo has been guided by mentors.
1: You can have mentors of different kinds all the time, you know, your, your parents can be a mentor um, in how they have ethics, you know, anyone can be a, a mentor. I don't, I don't see, I don't like to put people up on a pedestal that they have everything covered in life. I don't think that's possible. We're, we always have something to work on, whether it's our fitness, our relationship, you know, parenting, uh, work. There's always something to work on. So, to put a human being too high up on a pedestal and say he's perfect, I want to emulate his life. I, I don't seek to do that. I, want, I still want to do my own thing. So, I've only, I've only taken, I've only gone for mental, only in a purely a professional sense. Um, a very ethical man, but very different, you know, um, lifestyles and because I also look at him and go, he works too much. There's no life balance, um, so I don't, I don't want that. I do, I do want some aspect of life balance, and, and I have a seven-year-old son, so it's important that we, I don't just perpetuate a story of having a massively successful father that you never saw, you know, for him. So, so it's you know a little bit of balance in there. Although, although balance doesn't gel well with fast uh, success. <laughs> Ironically, the power of focus is what does it. So balance for me is is periods of intense focus to create results quickly, balancing with periods of, you know, a bit of relaxation and pulling back, as opposed to just taking your seven days and dividing up between leisure and work. I don't do that. When there's key, key pivotal moments, you go hard at work and yeah, your family might not see you for days. But then you balance you balance that up. With we take a big holiday every year. Must go overseas. i make it big. You know, We've got a year for five, six weeks. We enjoy ourselves. We're going to have to get this, this year for a lengthy period. So it's a different kind of balance. So going back to the mentor, I don't see his lifestyle as something I want to emulate. It's all about work. So it's only the work aspect and the mindset aspect. I'll pull out of that. Then I have other friends who have different skill sets, you know, rather more spiritual nature, um, or or a technical. You know, I have friends who are forensic negotiators and stuff like that. So I'm fascinated by that different sides of it. So you have different kinds of mentors for different aspects of your life.
0: From his mentors, Ansel has one main takeaway: be
1: very, very careful who you spend your time with. As an old saying, if you want to see your future, have a look at your immediate peer group. You know, if you're still hanging around with your mates from uni who are not going anywhere, that's your future. If you if you want to increase your future and a better future, you need to get around better people. Because you just absorb their energy and their thought patterns with you. So, you know, and then when you're starting out and you have dreams and you're trying to build, there's plenty of chicken littles out there who'll, you know. Uh, knock your dreams and and and, and Australia still has a, a, an issue with the tall poppy syndrome. I think the societal syndrome that is very limiting for us as a country to help us move forward to the next stage. You now we need to we need to be celebrating success more.
0: As for himself, he has two main takeaways that he hopes to pass on to others:
1: place more emphasis on the medium to long term and less emphasis on the short term. Give yourself a break in the short term about how quickly you can receive results. Take a 10 year approach, because when you do, you get massive results in the last two to three years. It's about building momentum, so give yourself a break. So when I, when I came back from London, I sat down and wrote, wrote out my goal list. I'm arriving back, I'm, I'm gonna do this, and I want to have 10 properties in the next, you know, uh, five to six years. And then nothing happened for the first three or four years. Mass frustration until, you know, until some people give you some perspective. They're like, hang on, mate, you've only been going for three years and you're trying to increase a, you know, create a portfolio of 10 to 15 properties. That's a big ask. You go, yeah. So you can be ambitious, but just layer it with, you know, property is a longer term game. It's not like the shares we can get in and out in five minutes. That's, and that's not a limiting belief system. What it does is it helps you in the early days get through the tough times. You don't give up so easily because you've got a longer-term approach. And then secondly to that, be very clear on what you want to achieve. What is your primary reason for getting into property? Do you love your job and it's a side investment to build wealth for your family? Great, do that. Don't confuse it with wanting to get into property full-time because very few people do it successfully. If property is your primary passion and you want to get into it, then go do it. But understand that the first few years will be hard as you build and grow. But, but I think a lot of people pile into the property game full-time for the love of money first and the game second. It's way harder because when you're not getting the financial results, it's harder to get out of bed in the morning and motivate yourself a so primary, and there's nothing wrong with the primary motivation being, being money. I don't, I'm not making a comparison there. Just understand that that, um, you know, your, your reasoning for doing things, and um, yeah, and just tempering it with short, medium, and long term thinking.
0: When it comes to personal habits that have helped Ansel, he pushes the importance of reading,
1: and obviously, read a lot read a lot of books a lot of um, you know when I was running the finance company instead of listening to the radio and music I would constantly listen to personal development style CDs and that that stuff just absorbs into you and a lot of it can be Americanized, but you can pick and choose but you know you can listen to a whole CD set and you only need two ideas one or two ideas that can help you get to the next level so you know it might be a a Educational course on sales or something like that, and you know, during listening to that, I pick up one idea, then I I'd get to the next appointment and apply and, and you know, get better at what I was doing. So, like I said earlier, it's what you do in your spare time, you, you don't learn anything new putting the radio on and listening to music.
0: Although books may not specifically guide you through your property investment journey, they can still provide great value.
1: I think books and that are excellent for concepts, ideas and mindset. I've never really found a decent property book for the specific reason that they're too generic and it's very hard. There's lots of different property markets all over the world, countries and then individually within a city. So to write a property book specifically and I actually find them quite dull. So my style has been to use education in books for personal development and and then learn on the street which has been the most value for me. And when we hire staff, we have people come in with the most fancy resumes and tremendous university degrees. Uh, in property, you have got to be street smart, you know, you can't, you can't learn that stuff from a book. You have got to be on the street because negotiation, you know, how do you, you, know, live negotiation on a property is very intuitive sometimes so it's not a um, cerebral exercise.
0: Going into the future, Ansel is excited about the development of his company.
1: I'm in that phase where I need to reset. I need to reset higher goals because we've achieved something fairly significant in a short space of time. So I need to I need to raise that ceiling and and reset. So I'm still in that process. Yeah, do we do we want to become one of the best small boutique property companies in Australia, or do we want to be the biggest? Um, The challenge I see with the biggest guys in the country is they have a big machine to feed, so they have to keep doing deals, and they have to spread. They have to go do deals that don't match their original ethos just to make money to feed a machine. So, uh, if I had to make a statement, it would be become the greatest property company in Australia, not the biggest or the most profitable. Something that our something that our shareholders are massively proud to be a part of, and we make great returns for them. But it's, but they also see what we're doing. Uh, we're doing a lot of other stuff as well. I mean, I'm actively trying to get all our Projects and construction and our a, and a developments off-grid to be a leader in that space and to find wealthy buyers who connect with that vision as well and will help us pay for it. So, you know, some of our projects, we're spending eight nine dollars $900,000 per unit on the build, but we're actually spending $850,000 because of all the energy-saving devices and everything we put in. It's very hard to get someone to... Share that cost with you because they have a set budget, and they go, "That's all I want to pay for a property." So we're we're new in that cycle. Um, I think everybody has the intention of wanting to help the environment and, and make and um, you know do their part. They just don't want to pay for it. My own house is off grid, over Tesla power power wall solar. Uh, you know, it's a, bit, a big thing for me is being authentic. Authentic, like actively not saying one thing and doing another. Authenticity is very important to me. That can be challenging as well. You know, um, I'm a fairly direct person and, and I can get people offside as well by not holding my tongue because I, I'm not happy about the state and the quality of the activities and the, and the levels of behaviour in our in our game. I think it's are excessively poor. Our industry needs a clean out. And it's going to come it'll come in the, it it'll it'll come in the next five years. there's going to be a clean out there's going to be some some very challenging um times in the market.
0: If given the opportunity, Ansel would give his past self valuable advice that we can all learn from.
1: I would probably say do it earlier, like even though our journey has been quick, I had the skill set to start and do it earlier I just didn't I didn't catch up with the belief system and all the other things we've spoken about today. You know, be careful who you spend your time with, which which I did that. I've, I've had a weeding out process over the last ten years. Um, and secondly, don't worry so much about how you're perceived. I think a large part of our behaviour on a daily basis is to appease other people or or concerned about how we're seen. You know, in business and life, just be yourself and go for it.
0: Thank you to Brendan Ansel, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. Do you find yourself stressed out not knowing how or where to find the best property deals or what the best strategy is to build a wealth generating portfolio? Well Dragon Dominski can help you while you save time and money. With about two decades of experience as an investor and expert buyer's agent, he finds positively geared properties with development potentials and secures and negotiates off-market deals for his clients. Now he's offering you a no-obligation 45-minute strategy call to get you started. Just simply text the code BAA with your name and email address to 0405105074 to get your no-obligation free 45-minute strategy call.